0: Welcome IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a sports nutritionist and an exercise physiologist, and I'm a bodybuilder.
1: Rob Fortress, Portney here. I'm a former editor at MuscleMania International, former competitive bodybuilder, and now competitive powerlifter.
2: And this is Phil Stevens. I'm the, uh, I run Strength Guild, uh, Lift for Hope. I'm a competitive powerlifter. Be competing in about a week and a half, and Island Games athlete. And fashion model. Fashion model, too. And, uh, Christmas card extraordinaire. Now, folks, um,
1: as I told you last week, Bob, um, our guest to be at that point, Bob Chitrillo. So we have Bob on the phone today. Hey, Bob.
3: How you doing, Robert?
1: Great, great. We're very happy to have you on here, uh, certainly for Lonnie and myself, who have been so vigorously entwined in the uh, bodybuilding community for, geez, decades now. Um, you're kind of like a little mini legend to guys like us.
3: Mini, I like that. Uh haven't called mini in some time, but we'll take it. <laughs> Well, but, uh, <laughs> I apologize for not being around. Uh, I know we scheduled scheduled for last week. I was uh, literally caught in the middle of an airport as I was uh, running to St. Louis for one of the big shows out there. So, uh, yeah, but I'm here today.
1: Yeah, I, I've been trying to get Bob on the phone for uh, or on the show there for a while, and uh, unfortunately, your father has passed away a few months back. So, we certainly would like to sh- send our condolences out to you and your family on that. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, sorry about that, but. Yes, as we say, you're on now, but before we get to Bob, uh, we're going to start the show as we usually do, with any sort of news or science topics, so now I am throwing the ball on your court line, do you have anything?
0: Strength and Muscle Sport News. Well, just a bit of uh, in-house news, really, I I just wanted to let everybody know that by the time you're hearing this, and again, we'll have to post this on our uh, Facebook page, but uh, the service provider is upgrading their hardware some nonsense tonight. So my usual Thursday night is not going to be spent, you know, fixing up the show and getting it online. So you'll be hearing this on Friday or Saturday. I don't even know why I'm announcing this because it'll be after the fact because you won't be <laughs> listening to this until Saturday. But, uh, anyway, yeah. So that's why there was a delay. It's, it's, it's not us, but that's all I've got. Oh.
1: Does anybody want to mention that uh, email that's been floating around amongst us lately about uh, from Andrew about the whole CrossFit thing? We've been kind of for our listeners out there. We've had a, a friend of ours, Iron Radio, that emailed us and was talking about uh, his uh, <laughs> dissatisfaction with the trend of CrossFit and getting quite uh, quite uh, venomous about the whole thing. And, and some interesting points have been made. I think, I think the longest post so far has been by Phil on the email, and he made some good points too. Um, Phil, did you have anything you wanted to maybe share with any of our uh, listeners about that whole thing?
2: Well, uh, the problem with that, I think, is if we're going to do that, it's going to be a show in and of itself because I won't shut up. Um, so <laughs> I, mean, I can't blanket it down into a, a ten or fifteen seconds is the problem, Rob, and I don't want to do uh, Bob any disservice of taking over the show.
0: Oh, no problem. All right. Yeah, so. it's touchy. It's touchy business. Yeah, yeah, I know my 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 quote on that was very brief, but. You know, I think to a lot of people, it's, uh, it's got pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it, being a rebranding of something that I think is sort of not new. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and what amazes me about it, and I'll, I'll just say this and then, yeah, I think we should say it for a future topic, but what amazes me is they've actually been able to generate a huge amount of excitement and I think even funding, you know, through, through Reebok, et cetera, yep. for something that's so vague and general, like yeah. general fitness. It's like your goal is not to do something, you know, like superhuman strength or, or size, uh, but it, it's a generalist. It's like, woohoo, I'm a generalist. I'm yeah. satisfactory in every way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a, uh, and yeah. I, that's sort of hard to understand, I guess, for people who are specialists is all. But, well, yeah, I'm amazed can talk
2: to, that they're, uh, even, I thought it died down since Reebok came on board and kind of commercialized it, but they're kind of elitist and out there. Advertising. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the latest one, but uh, they had a picture of a guy like holding a dumbbell, and it says, "Don't cheat on your workout. Cheat on your girlfriend." That was an advertisement.
0: I actually heard people talking about that <laughs> in Florida.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, "Oh, okay, there's, there's a good one." But
1: uh, I think you guys are just failed failed to want to accept the fact that the sport of fitness has arrived.
2: It has. It has. Um, and it arrived before in. They had that big aerobics competition a while back that I saw videos of. And it was much the same thing.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. You know what, Rob? I, one of the things that really struck me is I actually saw some kind of national uh, crossfit competition, big Reebok thing on ESPN like two, three weeks ago only, yeah. and I was, I was floored. I guess I didn't expect the girls to be far more muscular than mo- most amateur, you know, low level amateur male bodybuilders. I mean, their traps were like apples, yeah. you know, and they have the Big fake boobs. They look much more like fitness competitors than mm-hmm. I, I guess I anticipated. I expect them to look more like athletes, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they're not athletic. I mean, as fitness generalists, they're incredible, I guess. But yeah. I was really floored at how, you know, again with this sort of um, cosmetic enhancements and the extreme muscularity uh, of some of these these ladies, I was I was really floored. I guess I, I I'm so, you know, not into that scene. I was just floored by the visual of it all because they are jacked yeah. anyway so you a uh, big uh, crossfit practitioner there bob
3: i uh, can't say that i am <laughs> but uh it, you know what anything that gets people off their fat asses these yes. days i'm all in
1: favor oh, of that's and, yeah, yeah. You know, See, i knew was, i knew bob was going to be our type of guy
3: yeah it, I mean, listen the obesity is crazy that the kids you know can't get out of their own way all they can do is text and you know play on the computer so like I say, if it gets people motivated, gets them moving, God
2: bless them. Right. Here's on. one. Actually, I do have a bit of news. Uh oh. That somebody sent me. I'd love to get Lonnie's feedback on this. I got an email the other day from a friend of a client, and her her friend's son is an Eagle Scout. He's 16 years old, squatting 410 pounds. What? Plays football, and he has since they're going on a hiking camping trip. The Boy Scouts have decided to disallow this Eagle Scout from going because his BMI is too high.
0: Oh, boy. I know why you're asking me. (laughs) So
2: he can't participate in this trip. Um, It started, and I I did my my client and friend a favor and kind of put it on uh, Facebook to get other people's reaction. And they're forcing him, if he wants to go, and he's huge into the Scouts, being an Eagle Scout and this and that, he has to shed weight be it muscle or, or body fat, to take part in this trip. And he, Has
0: anybody done a body composition test on the kid?
2: It's pretty low. Um, yeah, I mean, he's competitive. He's up in the top of his high school. Um,
0: well, that's a heck of a squat, I'll tell you, for a
1: 16 Yeah, for
2: a 16-year-old, 410 pounds. Um, maybe,
1: maybe some of the more wayward, uh, questionable uh, scout leaders are just pissed off because they won't be able to manhandle him in the tent at night.
2: sure <laughs> it's Rob. Rob. Nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rob.
2: But, no, I mean, that was uh, a few points I made. You know, I mean, they're doing that even if the kid was, if his BMI was high due to being over fat, what kind of service are you doing by saying, you're fat, you can't go hike with us?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Know, no, I yeah, stay yeah. at home and sit down. We're going to go hike. <laughs> You know, well, unless
0: they can demonstrate some type of health risk, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously, first thing, somebody should educate them that body mass index is not body composition. Yeah. And now you could argue, yes, but he's still heavy for his height and it's going to be extra work on him. But, you know, um, you would think at that point, then they would try to make some kind of accommodations mm-hmm. instead of just say, don't come along anyway. so.
3: Can I uh, can I chime in on this? Yeah, please do. By all means. What, you know, I, I did the Boy Scout thing when I was a kid. No all that. When, when did BMI become part of the curriculum here? We, we were making necklaces and wrist things with, with boondoggle back when yeah. I was in there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's that's what got to me. I mean, it's yeah it's a crazy crazy deal. And then it exploded into other things like uh, Rob's country up there. I guess uh, Rob's country Canada. Yeah. Uh, another a fellow Canadian came on and said, you guys still have the Boy Scouts? We, we're not allowed to have Boy Scouts anymore. It's just Scouts because they had to let girls in, but there is Girl Scouts.
1: Hey, there was a school up here just a couple of weeks ago that banned balls from the playground because some kid got nailed in the face with one. So now no kid can have any ball of any type in the playground.
0: Oh, that Lord. Now like we're back to what Bob was saying about, you know, we got kids who are so fat they can't get out of their own way. So exactly. <laughs> We're yeah. gonna have a
2: collective okay. lack of balls throughout yeah. the whole society.
0: Yeah, take away the exercise implements. That,
1: that's yeah. good. Hey, man, a ball in the face never hurt no kid.
2: Yeah, no. You I know. could say something very bad there, but I
1: you see, see, that's where your <laughs> mind's running, Mine's not <laughs> right there. All
0: right, <laughs> let's get to our guest here. This yeah. is this is uh, chaos.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: as mentioned, we have Bob Chitrella here on the on the phone on the show, and. uh yeah, Bob, for those of you who don't know, who are not so much, um, you know, uh, having knowledge about the bodybuilding side of things, he's a professional bodybuilder, and he's been around for a long, long time, and he's, uh I know I can speak for both Lonnie and myself when I say, we admire this cat big time, because this is a guy that fought for his pro card in a way that few others have, and and he got it, man. And now, um he's, now what is it, what is your title exactly? Are you the athlete's rep, or what is it?
3: yeah my official title would be uh heaven his royal majesty would be the i f b b athletes representative uh yeah. so i basically represent the athletes and you know and things like rule changes and uh um you know various other sundry things that that come up um I, I try to help the guys and women as much as i can um even though the women have their own respective representatives i think they look at me as the main you know main guy so uh mm-hmm. it's anything from Guiding them in the right direction to, to, to business and contracts, to uh, rule changes, judging, you know, changes, things like that.
1: Right. Do you, uh, how long have you been doing that now? That's several years now.
3: Uh, yeah, I think it's five or six years
1: now, I'm thinking. Sure. So, sure. Because you took over from... Sean Ray. Sean Ray. Right, right, right. So who do you, I mean, as far, outside of the athletes, Bob, who do you most interact with in the IFBB hierarchy of, um, of officials?
3: Oh, everybody. Jim Mannion probably first and foremost as says he's the uh, president of the pro league. Um and I've known Jim since I was fourteen. I mean, you know, me and me and his son JM met actually we were fourteen and fifteen years old and he literally just started formatting the NPC. It wasn't even around. The the first oh, two wow. I think the first two or three shows I actually entered and this is we're going back to the late seventies when I started, uh, seventy nine I think my first show was, was all AAU shows. There was no N P C yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. How old are you now?
3: I'm uh, 46.
1: 46, okay. So, you know, that's a nice segue. Let's bring it back down because you're saying, you know, your first shows in the late 70s. Let's go back. Let's talk about your kind of um, impetus to get into any sort of athletics and and how that kind of manifested eventually to, uh, you know, lifting weights and bodybuilding. Tell us a little bit about that whole kind of thing.
3: Uh, Well, I was a big comic book collector, as a lot of kids are, you know, back then, and, you know, uh, was really into the superheroes and all that. And right around the same time the Hulk was on TV with Lou Ferrigno and, you know, all those great old episodes, and uh, Pumping Iron uh, would just come out. Um, and for some odd reason, I, I can't even give you a specific, but that seemed to be of interest to me. You know, I always wanted to be a superhero, and a good way to do it, it seemed to be, was you had to have the physique first. So never mind the superpowers and all those things, those would come much later to me. So, um, you know, that's where I started. I mean, I literally asked for a weight set for Christmas and got the old plastic and sand, you know, the interlocking uh, weights, you know, back then that came with the, the spring you know, contraption and the, the, the grippers and all that stuff in the big box. And uh, that's where I started.
1: Right. So what, what year was your first competition then?
3: Uh, 79. I actually started in 78. Okay. Uh, I was in uh, junior high school, I think I was 12 years old. And uh, by 13, I actually stepped on stage my first time in, in 1979.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I, as I was saying at the top of the show, Lonnie and I are, I'm 42 and Lonnie, what are you, 44? 43, yep. 43. So we're, we're right at that age where the 80s, cause it was kind of like our, you know, quote unquote golden age of bodybuilding. And I mean, oh, you yeah. were always in all the, ma- of course, back then no internet existed, so it was all just magazines. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a kid from Canada too, so it was even more so. But, you know, I'm in all the magazines, uh, yeah, you were, you were kind of like such a fixture on the scene. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> you were everywhere, kind of a thing. And, it's true, you know, yeah. To the point, well, to the point, yeah. this, let me just make a point, to the point that, A lot of us, in some ways, always thought you were a pro, even when you weren't a pro, because you were just such a fixture on the scene.
3: Yeah, well, like I said, this is the days, you know, before Del Gore invented the internet and all that, and, um, the bottom line was, yeah, you lived through the magazines. I mean, that's how we got our info, and that's how you saw the pictures, and who won what, and where, and, um, I came on pretty strong pretty early. I mean, I had won probably, you know, I'm fast-forwarding, of course, because, you know, the show's only so long, but, yeah, I had probably won 20, I don't know 22 or 23 teenage titles by the time I was 19 uh, of course a loss I'm still pissed about I actually lost to Sean Ray in the 80 geez, I think it was like the 84 team nationals or something like that I'm still pissed about that show oh, but my um yeah but uh, and then went on from there but you know I went you know, kind of I went very quickly up the ranks so so it's kind of an interesting story but um I went from there to winning the junior nationals in, in, at 21 you know, and then of course I was on my first magazine and, and that type of thing, and then uh went right to the nationals. I mean, you, you kind of followed the chain of command back then. It's not like today where people you win the Mister Wisconsin super heavyweights with nobody else in the class, and then guy automatically thinks he's qualified to step on the USA stage, and yeah. of course gets his ass handed to him into twenty fifth place. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you we, we actually followed the ladder back then. Uh, so I won the juniors, uh, and then went right to the nationals and did fairly well, placing fifth in my first one in '87. Another show, Sean Ray won always in my way, and uh, went on from there.
2: Yeah,
1: now how, how many stabs at a pro qualifying competition do you actually have to do before you actually obtained your IPB pro card?
3: Um, that's a good question, actually. I, I actually don't know. I'd have to add it up, but it was, I competed from 87 from a national standpoint. So when I got to the national level, which would qualify as pro, um, and we got to remember the, the, the time frame here. Back in 87, 88, 89, those years, first of all, there was no super heavyweight class. So heavyweights was one big, gigantic class that had a lot of depth and talent. Also, you had to win the overall back then. There wasn't no second pro card, third pro card like they do now with the, with the classes. You had to win your, your class at the Nationals, or you had to win the overall USA. That was it. Um, so it was a little you know, a little tougher to come by. But it took me 13 years of steady competing, from first being 87, and my last stab, obviously, in 2000, when I ended up winning the USA.
1: Right, so that was two. It was two thousand when you actually finally obtained your card. That's right. Right now, how many how many shows have you done as a pro?
3: Uh, well, I competed from uh, two thousand. Well, actually, I should say two thousand and one. I think because by the time the um, pro circuit came back around, I, I basically wanted to be Mister USA for a while. I'm sure you guys can appreciate that after thirteen years. I didn't want to go from being the best amateur in the world to the worst pro, you know, by stepping on the uh, the you know the pro stage that year. So yeah, sure. Uh, I competed from 01 to uh, 06, so so it wasn't a very long stint as a pro, um, competing-wise. But it, it, you know, it took me so long to get there that I kind of knew I was on limited time, and somewhere early on it actually dawned on me that I probably wasn't going to be beating Ronnie Coleman anytime
1: soon.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, most people Hey, Bob, if I can ask you, uh, so what was more satisfying? Did you like being in the upper echelons of the national ranks for all those years? Was that more satisfying than your time as a pro, or did you prefer the pro years?
3: Well, interesting question, because I really wasn't in the upper echelon of the amateurs all those years. It would have been a nice story, you know, like a whole bunch of second-place finishes, but what ended up happening was more of a, a rocky kind of a story, where I came up quick, and I was like the next guy i mean i was the great white hope you know the the whole biz man i mean being featured like like robert says i mean i was in all the magazines and um 87 88 89 i mean i was right there you know second place to johnny moran at the usa by a point uh, you know top 5 at the nationals and again at the usa's north americans um and then all hell broke loose um because i wasn't winning i started changing stuff and i started getting quote, smarter so i started actually researching more and doing more you know, homework on, on on supplementation and dieting and you know, all these tricks of the trade of trying to come in shredded and ripped and the smarter I got, the worse I looked. I was better off and I was just stupid, you know, training and wow. you know, uh cutting down on food. So between the years of like you know, ninety two and ninety nine, I mean I wasn't doing shit. Oh. I mean I was mm-hmm. placing fifteenth at the Nationals or just barely making I was placing eighth at the USA that you know, uh, I wasn't anywhere near the top five. Mm
1: yeah why do you think that that's an interesting? I, I actually find that a lot even with generalists in the in the gym, the whole idea of you know sometimes you the more you learn, sometimes it could be more of a roadblock to you, kind of like oh, yeah. you know getting somewhere because and i keep doing i mean after training for twenty six years myself I continually every year or two i reassess and find myself um, actually conscientiously trying to kind of reclaim. A little bit more of the days of, of, of ignorance, mm-hmm. I guess is a bad way of saying it, but sure. well, that's an that's an interesting point. Do you um? Well, first of all, what was your best um, placing as a pro?
3: Uh, I well, I won the the my last show I won, so it was like the the literal on stage, you know. Thank you, good night. You know, I'm gonna go out on top. So I, I won the 2006 Masters World Championships.
1: Yes. You know, yeah.
3: And. Yeah. And that was a good time to to kind of hang them up as I was already um hosting shows hosting the Olympia you know I, I had kind of already moved into that direction um, so for me, it was kind of a natural transition that that uh again you know I was I, you know could I have gone to the Olympia and done well? yeah, I think I could have been fighting for somewhere between maybe eighth and tenth you know that particular year, but I was basically I would be taking a pay cut at that point you know to be competing and um yeah. You know, I competed, obviously, a number of years by that point. and And, uh, you know, at 40, uh, 40 years old or so, you know, that type of thing, it, it looked like a good time to move on into the next, uh, you know, M.O.
1: Now, why do you think it was that, that for so many years there you were chasing the pro card and you always seemed to be kind of just, you know, just just, just missing the spotlight and so forth when everybody was, you know, banting back and forth about the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, why isn't Bob a pro yet? What, do you think it was accumulation of um, different factors or more so that you actually – were in some ways inferior to the your competitors at the time or would you think it was like do you think there was a politics type of thing involved or No
3: no there was there was absolutely no politics involved if if, if anything i had a politics on my side i knew Jim Mannion i knew Jim Rockell from my area for for years again i know these guys since i was a kid you know manuel was like a second father to me um, but there was so there was no nod to be given i mean and that's a kind of a funny thing because i get crap all the time when i finally won oh it's politics you know it's like politics but it's a that's a hell of a uh Stance I got there, if it took me 13 years to get there, and, I, and I'm connected. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, yeah. they gave me what I deserved. I mean, there were shows I deserved to be 8th or 10th or 15th. Um, it, it was collectively everything, Robert. I mean, it was the fact that, like I say, when I was first starting out and I, things were simplistic, there was less stuff to mess up. You know, you didn't have to look at 12 different things. and Geez, I wonder what, what went wrong. Back then, you did a very simple program that we all kind of started with uh, that was competing. You know, you, you dropped it all down, you know, throughout your diet, you did crazy amounts of cardio, and you, you depleted at the last, you know, starting seven days out for three days, and then you started carving up. You know, so it was a simple yeah. format, and if something messed up, you you kind of knew what to look at. Well, yeah. the smarter I got, the more I started adding in, the more we started to, you know, all of a sudden sodium loading kind of came around. That was a new thing, and all these techniques came, and, and the more, again, I was not winning, the more I was saying, well, i got to change something because I'm not winning. And um, now all of a sudden, instead of looking at three things that messed up, you had ten things that you're yeah, looking at going, well, it yeah. could have been this, and, well, I did drop that, so maybe it was that, and maybe I took the sodium out too early. and you didn't. So you were juggling 12 different balls up there, and you, you didn't really know how to correct it at that point.
0: You know so, what, yeah. and if I can add something to that, too, I think one of the, the difficult things is things have uh, progressed, if you want to put it that way, Is that it's impossible to tease apart, you know, tease out the single variable that could have messed things up because every time you think, well, I'll just change the sodium loading this time, or I'll carb up less, maybe I overspilled, or whatever, whatever it is you're going to try to tweak. But most guys that I know, and I think I'd be guilty of this too, is there's no way I'm not going to pull out all the stops every competition. It would be almost impossible to. Just look at one thing, like I'm just going to carve up this time, I'm not going to think about the sodium, I'm not going to think about right. this or that, you know, way to uh, diarese myself or whatever it is. And- so you can't really ever get a controlled experiment and nail down which one of these things is going on. And besides, it could be an interaction among two, any two or three or four of these things. You know what I mean? Oh, so uh, it's, it's, yep. it's just like a crapshoot. You know, it's just. And that's it's just what it turned times.
3: into. And that's what it turned into was a crapshoot. You know, again, for a long time where I literally just could not figure out how to come in 100. percent And I would be it shows. I mean, I had I I would have. I mean, Jim Raquel, who's a, a top judge and. Uh, owned the gym that I trained at since I was a kid. You know, he judged the Olympia. I mean, you know, he was a top guy. I'd have him look at me. I was in shape, like you asked me earlier, you know, was it, you know, was I inferior in some manner, like, you know, maybe with genetics, things like that. It was actually the the absolute opposite. I was actually far superior when it came to genetics. I had beautiful structure, wide shoulders, naturally small waist, the flaring thighs. I mean, you know, I wasn't missing any parts per se. You know, I could, you know, display my physique. I, he would look at me two, three days out and I'd be dead on the money. He would actually tell me, don't change nothing. Just leave it alone. You're already in the top three right now. All you got to do is just, you know, just wring the water out a little bit and ready, you know, and I'd come in and I'd be in seventh, you know, that type of thing. Just yeah. again, something would always seem to go wrong at the end there.
0: So, uh, you know, I should, I, I shouldn't be so glasses half empty too. Although it can be frustrating, it's also sort of the fun and the art of it as well. You know what I mean? How can I get these things lined up t- for, to increase the probability that I'm going to step on stage razor sharp. But, you know, it's just toying with each of these things. It can be fun, too, especially if you hone your formula down. I, the, form, the the frustration would come where I just can't figure out what the hell is going on. But I think for the people who get very close, uh you know, then there is some randomness. I mean, there's so many variables in life from sleep to stress to who knows what that you can't perfectly control. That, you know, I don't know. There's some fun in all of that, too. I think that's one of the... It's the complication and it's the allure of bodybuilding in some way compared to something like powerlifting, where there's much less on the dietary side to deal with. But it's also frustrating. So you know, it's I just I, I guess I'm trying to present that it could be interesting in a glass is half full way too. So. You know,
1: and, and the thing is, I mean, Bob is definitely Iron Radio proof because anybody who you know survives long enough to keep coming back from from what must have been countless times, just you know, to, to just you know, drat, not again, and to keep going at it. I mean. You know, I have a phrase. I always say there's there's people who, you know, sometimes weight train, they work out, and there's people who are of the weight. You know, people who, you know, um, they do it regardless of whether there's a trophy, whether there's a title. They do it just because they want to do it. And there has to be something inbred in a person to just constantly keep going to the gym. And we have a phrase here, Bob, on Iron Reader that we always talk about. I think it was Phil that actually coined it, um, punching the clock. You know, most of your workouts are just punching the clock, but it's mm-hmm. that, ultimately, it's that punching of the clock that, you know, gets you, whether you're a powerlifter or a bodybuilder,
0: that actually gets you somewhere. And that like takes insane. a bit of testicular fortitude, too, you know, and I Absolutely. think that's why we tend to, we, sure. we wanted to get you on the show because, you know, that's a man right there. When you can, you get knocked down and you get back up. That's oh, yeah. People, most and
3: people don't, people have no sense, obviously, of, you know, as you guys know, I mean, you're talking a full, you know, three-month effort just in terms of specifics of dieting cardio i mean we did stuff stupidly back then i mean i i we would start with an hour cardio you know 14 weeks out from the show and then double it up you know as a show you know we we way overtrained, you know we you know but that was just the way it was back then but it became a quest is what it was this was a quest to not only get my name off the, the trivia questioning list of you know hey we were the best bodybuilders ever never turned pro and it was always the same names that came up mendenhall Liedel, Edgar Fletcher, and Ciccarello.
2: Right. You know, and, and and
3: so I wanted to get off that list, but more importantly, the USA to me became my Olympia. That was it. Getting the pro card was winning the Olympia for me. I could have won the USA and re and retired without ever stepping on the stage as a pro, so to say, and been perfectly happy because I finally did it. I won. I beat it. I did what everybody says I couldn't do, and I finally proved it to myself that I had what, because I knew I had what it took but I just could not get it on stage on game day. So right. to me, like I said, that was the Olympia for me.
1: Right. Now, how tall are you? I'm six foot. Six foot. Okay, now, at, at what you consider to be your all-time best, how much did you weigh?
3: Well, at the USA, uh, obviously at the same height, um, I was uh, I was actually the second lightest guy in the super heavyweights. Now, by this time, the super heavyweights was created. Um, and in 99, yeah. if I back up one year... Actually, I'll back up two years, Um, and this may lead to the next conversation. I'm actually probably 5'11 and a half now. In 98, I was actually making another one of my comebacks, and I was getting ready for the USA. Everything seemed to be on track. You know, once again, I I looked great. You know, things were on, you know, looking like they were looking up and all that. Well, I ended up blowing my back out, which was always kind of a weak link. Oddly enough, not in the gym, but, of course, playing baseball. So... Blew it out enough that I needed to get uh, surgery and and get fusion done. Now, this was like literally, I don't know, eight weeks before the USA. (laughs) So um, somewhere around there, like I said, I blow the back out. So 98 turns out to be a wash. I get the surgery done, uh, you know, get on the road to recovery, and start getting ready for 99. Now, you know, there was nerve damage, you know, down the leg, the whole thing. I was starting to get that little limp, you know, that you see with old people, you know, if you don't get it fixed and all that. So... Um, I actually made my comeback in 99, um, just squeaking into the heavyweights. Uh, and, and that's where I met my old buddy King Kamali as we, uh, ended up finishing one and two in the heavyweights. I was actually just in at like 224, um, which was light for me, but because I had missed so much time in the gym, you know, recovering from the surgery, um, you know, that became an option. So I says, what the hell? I might as well get in there. And I was in great shape for that show. If, if not for King being in, in his all-time best shape. I have won the nationals, as it would be. Mm-hmm. I'd continue on, go to the USA, and then ended up winning that in the heavyweights at at two thirty three. Okay, What's yeah, the actually, you. Have- you know
0: what? I just wanted to say quickly, Bob. That's amazing that with you know spinal you know fusion and all that kind of stuff that a year later you were on stage. That's nutty, man.
3: Yeah, well, not only was it nutty, but it was nobody, even the doctors thought I was I was a nut for even thinking I could. I had to take eight weeks off of the gym completely right after the surgery, just sure. not doing nothing. I mean, I, I had never missed eight weeks collectively in all those years. I was one of those. I'm old school, man. I mean, I'm in the gym. You don't miss it because of weather. You don't. You know, you got to the gym and that's what you did. Um, okay. So to sit around for eight, eight, ten weeks doing zero, I mean, it was 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 horror to me and the, and the biggest the biggest obstacle wasn't I knew I'd put weight on quickly, I and mean, I wasn't worried about any of that stuff. The biggest obstacle was like I say, because I had the, there was the nerve was damaged to a point because of the you know the the uh this breaking in half into the nerve channel that it kind of literally cuts off the signal, so I was like, like my like my left calf, I could see shrinking down. you could train it all you want but there's there's no signal getting from a to b um so that was the big question of. We don't know if this will come back quickly. If it won't, you know, nerves kind of heal at a millimeter a day, sort of a reference. Yeah, so exactly. you, can, you know, take the length of, of from your spine down to your toe, and you add up how many millimeters are there, and that's how many days it's got. Probably, you know, if if you come back 100 percent at all. Yeah. So you know, like in, in custom bodybuilding uh, fashion, I completely ignored what every what everybody said and got back in the gym, trained, and uh, like I said, you know, the rest the rest is history, so to say. But. Yeah.
0: Can we okay. go to break? We're going to have to yeah. go to break if we're going to get one. So okay. let's go ahead and go to break quickly. When we come back, uh, we'll get more from um, Chick here. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, i just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us – We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, Uh, That would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. This is Jim, owner of the longest locally owned gym in Winona, The Boardwalk which I'm proud to say now has the most variety of cardiovascular machines. Our latest edition, four new lifetime ellipticals, easy on the joints, low impact on the knees, while getting a full body workout at our same unbelievable low prices. Only at the Boardwalk, with an Alive Sound System, we're not just a gym, we're an experience.
1: Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? Yeah, I just wanted to know what's the heaviest body weight you've ever had? Not on stage, but just the heaviest you've ever been.
3: Uh, Heaviest I ever got to was about two eighty in the off season, Um, and this was actually back in the mid nineties. This is when Dorian emerged, and everybody. And I got to give Dorian credit for one thing: he revolutionized not bodybuilding per se. I mean, obviously, he ushered in a new era of. And, and terminology of graininess, you know, words that you'd never heard before with any other bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. But he, he ushered in a different system of training, which to that point had never been seen, and that was actually cutting down training, yeah. not doing more. Now, that's something, as, as I alluded to earlier, we beat ourselves into the ground. I mean, when I first started training, you train body parts twice a week. You know, we did the customary chest and back on Monday, uh, shoulders and arms on Tuesday, legs on Wednesday, and then you repeated it. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then you took Sunday off. So right. the fact that we had any muscle at all when we got on stage <laughs> yeah. was a miracle. Well, we,
0: plus to you were it. doing dozens of sets, right? I mean, oh. every body part just dozens hammered into the ground every time. Oh of yeah,
3: yeah. We we again the, the the you know the mentality back then was more on training, not on recovery. Recovery wasn't really in the bodybuilding terminology. So, you know, stupidly, again, you remember the time frame we're talking back in the 80s and going into the 90s, but everybody thought you got big in the gym back then. Little did they know, nobody in the history of mankind has ever gotten big in the gym. Right. You break down muscle tissue in the gym, you get big when you go home, and you eat and you get your rest and your recovery and your sleep. That's when you build muscle. Well, you know, cutting to the chase, Dorian kind of all of a sudden ushered in this, this, uh, you know, the. The heavy-duty style thing that mentioned did—that it, in itself wasn't revolutionary. We'd seen it with Menster and, and others. Um, what made it revolutionary was he only trained body parts once a week. Now, again, to this point, unheard of. Well, you know, oh, I can't just train chest on Monday and I'm not training until next Monday. But when you looked at it, and this has become the norm now for for almost anybody, uh, you know, training to be a, a bodybuilder, uh, it allowed for more recovery, and that's what changed bodybuilding as we know it today. I think that's the single most factor. People can point their finger at drugs and insulin and IGF and all these other wacky things, but that is the single most factor that changed bodybuilders from going in the 230-240 range to the 250-260-270 range. Yeah.
1: Well, I remember when he won his first Olympia in 92, and then you know, he came back in 93, you know, and he was 15, 16, 17 pounds heavier. Right. And just, that's when he freaked everybody out. I remember everybody asking him at the time, because at the time, I think I was at Muscle and I remember everybody at the time was asking him constantly, you know, what'd you do, what'd you do, what'd you do? You know, and of course, everybody was pointing the finger of, you know, drugs and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, you know, (laughs) drugs were part of the sport. But in that specific case, he said, you know, the truth of the matter is, he says, you know, I, I just realized I had been overtraining and over depleting myself to an nth degree. Mm-hmm. And I just decided not to do that anymore, and he gave himself so much more more recovery, and hence showed up that much heavier and yeah i think I think just just saying it alone, but when you have actually the the you know seemingly the visual proof that it happens, I mean that really registers for a lot of people at the time who were kind of in that you know point where they they were like, "Oh well, maybe there is oh, yeah. something to this, you know
0: well, you know what well, I, I think Certain people gravitate toward that too, that what I would call power bodybuilding. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's almost hybridized. I mean, I don't want to no. say it's a mix of powerlifting and bodybuilding per se, but you know what I mean? It's a different style of training and I really emulated that for years and I'm not really built like he is either. That's my problem is he's so heavily built, you know, but.
3: No, that's he- very true. The, the, you know, that style of training changed it. But again, the, the, the attention to detail, the attention to recovery is the biggest factor. And everybody's got to sit there and say, well, it's a drug, you know, the GH, you know, people, GH has been around for years before Dorian ever came around. You know, believe me, you know, uh, insulin had been around for years, you know, offering all the way back to the Tim Belknaps of the world who was diabetic, but still using insulin. You're talking back in 81, 82. Yeah. So these weren't revolutionary things. All the regular drugs in bodybuilding had been around since the dawn of time by the time Dorian ever, ever picked up a weight. So he didn't know anything anybody else didn't do. He had no magic stack, you know. What he did have was he had the knowledge and the balls to cut it back and do the one thing that's bodybuilding blasphemy, and that's do less to get more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, how nobody, would you...
3: starts, nobody wants to start at the left end of the rack. They all want to start at the right end of the rack.
1: Right, <laughs> right. Now, how would you define your style of, of, of training um i mean, I'm, i am mean, I'm sure it's you know uh, evolved and gone in you know, a million different directions in the mm-hmm. amount of years that you've done it but um have you always favored kind of a more kind of like um meat and potatoes multi joint movement type of program or um, that type of thing have you like you know always kind of been like a bench heavy you know row squat kind of guy or have you have you you know not been more you know more the kind of like the for lack of a better word, the kind of a sculptor kind of guy.
3: Yeah, I was I was definitely more of a finesse trainer than a power trainer, and and I've, over the years I, I've seen this with many guys. You will gravitate towards what you're naturally good at. I, I trained with Tom Prince for years, who was just ungodly strong. I mean, he's got the big wrists, you know. He was just stupid strong. You know, he's I've a,
1: heard some yeah, I've heard oh, some yeah. stories about him. Yeah,
3: all true. I've witnessed this guy do stuff that I would sit there. And other top mean you're talking top world class bodybuilders would sit there and marvel at some of the lifts that he would do now you know you say, well, you know did that work for him? Well, yeah, it worked for him because he was a big, strong mofo you know that's what he was good at, right yeah. you know? so it was nothing for him that's what he again, when you're strong, you gravitate towards training heavy. I collectively you know and relatively was never that strong, you know strong for your average Joe and all that kind of stuff, but as as compared to like a Tom Prince. I was never even in this league of, of guys like that and Ronnie and, you know, some of those those craziness you see in this unbelievable DVD. and So I always tended to gravitate towards being a finesse trainer. Now, I, I didn't train white. I just didn't train real super heavy like those guys did. Uh, and I've written articles over the years. I've taken all kinds of crap on about how the bench press sucks and, you know, how squats may not be for everybody. And, and once again, you know, bodybuilding blasphemy, people. I get, I actually got hate mail, like like, like death threats of people that were – they're like the torch bearers of the bench press. You know, yeah, I'm, a, I'm envisioning like this collective group coming down the street with the pitchforks and the, you know, the torches going up. You know, kill him. You know, <laughs> like they, God forbid I should usher s- such a sentence of don't bench. You know, when right. the, the bench press. D- yeah, is you really know what, Bob. For- you know? I was
0: going to say, you know, never mind the fact that you got 180-pound dumbbells in your hands or something, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well,
3: that, that meant nothing. You know, that meant right, nothing. Right, the the right. fact that I would, I, would, I would actually utter a bad word about the bench press, the king of all exercise, the cornerstone of our entire sport, you know, was was, was just so, you know, foreign to people. that they, I'm telling you, I literally got hate mail and stuff from this article I put out years ago. And um, it, but, but, but if they read the article, they would see that what I was saying was is that the bench press has been responsible for more pec terrors and ending more careers in the history of bodybuilding than any other movement. And there was a reason behind that. I went in depth, of course, as to how a you have to be built for the bench press with the short arms and the big, you know, torso and all that stuff and, and the smaller range of motion. And, and some people weren't built for it, like me, who has longer arms, taller guy. You know, and I've got friends that, that, you know, Kevin LaVroni, a good friend of mine, almost almost ruined his entire career (laughs) because he had to bench press 565 pounds. He already was the second-best bodybuilder in the world.
1: Yeah, and that was very early in his pro career, too. Oh, yeah. That was like, what, 92 or something.
3: Yeah, he was second to Dorian when he did that. I mean, here was a guy, again, second-best in the world. Dorian himself injured himself out of existence. Here was a guy who was Mr. Olympia for four or five times, whatever it was at that time, and ends up tearing all kinds of muscle groups because he couldn't get it out of his head that he didn't need these things. Maybe they were they were instrumental when he was coming up and when he was chasing Haney. And then all of a sudden he's Mr. Olympia two and three times. But was it wasn't necessary when he when you're Mr. Olympia five times. Is there any good reason to be doing a, a reverse grip bent over row with 405 pounds when you already have the best back in the world? And that's yeah, what but you know what, really Bob? I
0: think it's it's aggression. You've you've been on the freight train of aggression when you're in the gym. You know what I mean? You start pushing heavy loads, and uh, even if you're more of a finesse bodybuilder, I can see how that could get a hold of you. You know what I mean? It's well, everybody it wants can, to progress.
3: It can, and I agree with you. But I think when you're when you're a, a seasoned pro, again, we're not talking about a 22 year old kid in the gym and he's buck strong and. You know, doing all this stuff, and and that's fine. But when you're a five-time Mr. Olympia, when you're the best in the world already, you have to be a little bit smarter than yeah. to injure yourself out. By the time Dorian was done, he had a, a small tear in his thigh. He tore his bicep. He tore a, you know a, a you know part of his lat, something. Else. He had all kinds of tears in him. But that bicep again, he tears doing a, a reverse grip bent over row with 405 pounds. What, you already got the best back in the world by miles. Like, what were you intending on doing
0: here? Yeah, that's you know, not part you know. of any kind of logical strategy, right? No. And, but, you know, and I it, was, my, my whole thing I, is
3: sometimes... I always yeah. adhere to a, 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 a saying I've had for years that, that says, train smarter, not harder. It just seemed to make sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was only going to say further to what Lonnie said, the whole idea that, and I'm certain I'm not disagreeing with you, Bob, at all, but on, on, the, on the side of... A lot of the people, we were talking about this earlier, like, you know, the people of the iron, people who engage in it because it's something fundamental to, I don't know, their sanity or whatever it is. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, maybe it's like, well, I don't really want, and again, I'm, I can't speak for any past Mr. Olympia, but I'm just kind of, again, just kind of playing devil's advocate. Maybe it's like, you know, I, I don't want to hold the title kind of thing. And They might not even be thinking consciously this, but, you know, you know, I have to do this to kind of, kind of, constantly reassert in my mind, you know, where I am in space and time in, as far as my career as, a, as you know, a bodybuilder or what have you kind of a thing.
3: Well, I think, honestly, Robert, I think it just comes down to the, the most basic and fundamentals of, of all bodybuilding, and that is to get from the left side of the rack to the right side of the rack. And, and I don't think it matters whether you're a rank amateur or, or a 16-year-old Eagle Scout or, or you know, doing 410-pound, you know, that, let's take that kid, for example. You know, young kid, obviously very strong. 410 pound squat what's his next goal to do 425 and then when he gets that it's going to be to 450 and 500 and so on and so forth bodybuilders inherently uh look at their progression from a standpoint of how much they can lift the old what do you bench thing instead of the mirror and it's it's tough to separate the two but that has always represented progress to us hey i only did the 70s last time i did the 80s this time that represents a step forward in progress that you have made. Muscle, you are getting bigger, and you are getting closer to your goal. So inherently, it's it's a mind thing, is what it is, and that doesn't shut off when you become Mr. Olympia. Unfortunately, that's where yeah. you have to be smarter than than that that natural instinct that Cindy has as a bodybuilder to lift bigger weights and get to the right side of the rack.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, but I mean, obviously, you must re- uh, you know also recognize that to it to a degree. I mean, the aesthetic you know advancement in bodybuilding, if you're a competitive mm-hmm. bodybuilder um has some sort, at least some sort of you know um link to to strength oh yeah see the whole There's thing no that i was the the whole thing in, in all the years that i've been going to gym dating back to when i was a competitive bodybuilder you know people always say cuz i've always been kind of like you were saying people gravitate towards what they're good at i've always been good at just lifting heavy crap so sure. people would say to me you're a bodybuilder you know so you know uh, and I always say, you know, size follows strength. And people would say to me, but, you know, at that time, you're not a power lifter, right? So who cares what you lift for one or two reps? And my whole thing was there's such a, such a narrow view of how people look at strength, right? Strength doesn't have to be singles and doubles. Strength can be in the range, like like Ronnie Coleman says, right? Strength can be in the range of, a tw- you know, 8 to 12. I what you're doing. Yep. exactly so i mean when people say oh you know strength has nothing to do with it it's like if you're you know i look at these bodybuilders who would, who would even say such a kind of absurd thing and say you know you're missing the boat here um you know certainly we i know what your priority is but you have to also understand you know that ultimately to change what you are on the outside you have to train, change you know what you're capable of and you know what you're what's going on in the inside and that's going to come through basically being able to perform better than you did you know a year ago or whatever it is
3: well in the world of bodybuilding is you know and again i've got a thousand things of course over all these years but it it comes down to one thing and that is it's not how much you can bench it's how much you look like you can bench that is the is the sport of of professional bodybuilding at any bodybuilding at that but again it's very very difficult to separate the two and, and that's where you know guys get in trouble ultimately the only thing that stops somebody from moving up on an exercise is injury You know, a guy will leg press as much weight as he can pile on her and then then throw his training partner on top to yell at him to add another 200 some pounds because he can do it. And if you can do it, you're moving up, you know. And again, until that knee pops or there's a muscle tear or you feel a strain, you will, the next workout, you will continue to throw more weight on there. That's what we do. Right.
0: Right. Uh, you know what, you guys? If I can interject, Rob, you were talking about, you know, being stronger, or, or uh, you and Bob both about being strong in a, a different rep range, like an eight rep range or something like that. I think also one of the things we we need to keep in mind is uh, we are kind of joking about heavy dumbbells versus the barbell too. One of the things we got to be careful is not to strictly define strength by the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're doing heavy bent rows and you're doing heavy overhead presses and dumbbell presses and I mean there's tons of uh movements that are bodybuilding style which Mm -hmm. you can still be you know incredibly strong and it's not like you're just waltzing through the workout in your little tutu and ballerina slippers. I mean this is hardcore shit here. You know what I mean? It's just not those three lifts.
3: Unfortunately they're not they're not the marquee lifts. I mean they're not they're not the ego lifts, so they don't get any play. Even in bodybuilding. I mean nobody's ever come up to me and asked me, Hey man, how much do you fly? You know, it's, right, I, if I had a dollar for right. every time somebody asked me, "What do you bench?" You know, I'd be a rich man, of course, because that's the lift. You know, what do you bench? Yeah. You know, that, that says it all. What do you squat, or what do you
0: deadlift? But Bob, you know what? And yet, for muscle building purposes, I would argue that dumbbell press is probably better than a traditional bench press in a lot of ways. Oh, I
3: will. I've written articles, and I not only do I agree with you. Those those fundamentals, those things that were put around, you know, way back in the 1800s with Eugene Sandow and all the rest of the pioneers, you know. Those were considered the cornerstones of bodybuilding. I've submitted that they are absolutely not the cornerstones. You you can, listen, I won the USA not squatting. And I had squatted for years. I used it as a base, you know, of course, like any other kid growing up. With back surgery, again, Fusion in in 98, I won the USA not doing a deadlift, a squat, uh, a bent over row. I mean, I didn't take all the basics out. And bench I didn't like, as you guys know, so that was out. I didn't do any of those conventional lifts. And I won the USA in turn pro, something I couldn't do doing all those lifts. Now, obviously, we you know, there's a lot more involved, you know, with conditioning, things like that. But let's take that out of this conversation. You don't have to do anything. There is no base and cornerstone. These exercises were invented way back in the, in the 1800s when they had limited knowledge and craftsmanship. You know, that, that's what they had back then. That's why they're the, 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 the cornerstones and all that stuff. It doesn't mean it's the best exercise for what you're doing. It just means that that's what they started with back then when they didn't have hammer machines and all the rest of these ergonomically correct pieces with the the, the uh, handles that are angled and all that. They didn't have that knowledge back then.
1: Now, of course, I think it's also worth saying, though, that by at that point, 98, you've been training for, you know, 20 plus years, so you had already sure. built a considerable amount of size in your body head, you know, to use your word in condition, because of course, as we always talk about the show, conditioning is, is, you know, being well conditioned simply is, is mm-hmm. directly synonymous with what it is that you do, right? So, sure, you know, if, you're, if you're, if you're resistance weight training guy, you know, who's been trained for two, two plus decades, you know, as you at that point have, you had already accumulated a, you know, substantial amount of conditioning Absolutely. for what it is that you did, right? So, uh-huh. so you know, a guy like you, you know, maybe you did bench presses for 10 years and then thought, screw I like dumbbell presses. Well, by that point, you know, your, your body responds to think, I mean, you have such a profound amount of knowledge that even some people who are not necessarily formally educated, but people who've just been doing it for so, so long, they understand, even if they might not be able to, you know, um, express it with language, they might understand the nuance of how to, you know, how to move an elbow with a dumbbell sure. and how to You know, do those types of things. So, I mean, by that point, I mean, let's, let's face it, at that point, you were already a master, you know? Well, you know, I'd like to agree
0: with, I'd like to agree with Bob on one thing, and that's that, although I, let's face it, you guys know I, I love to squat. I'm not a a super big framed person, but I've always loved it. I've been relatively good at it compared to, certainly compared to benching or deadlifting. But the point is, one of the best progress I, periods of progress I ever made was when I was in San Diego in grad school. And I, I must have put two inches on my thighs over like an, I don't know, 12 week period or something. I mean, just crazy growth with leg presses. Just heavy leg presses, you know, punching the clock like we were saying. I mean, so there's nothing wrong with those movements either. Like I said, I love the power lifts, and I think they can be very effective. But it's if it's kind of like just recently I was having a discussion a couple of days ago when I was down in Florida, um, and I, I was talking to this guy, and he's like, you know, you don't have to be apologetic if the bench press hurts your shoulders. Or something like that. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with the the thrill and the intensity of getting a big pump and lifting heavy weights, not just in the three power lifts, but lifting heavy in the gym and getting a pump. That's fun, and if that's what you're good at, you know, don't be ashamed of that, and certainly don't make excuses for it, you know. And I think that's one of the things that I need to be reminded of, too, because as much as I love strength and power, you know, I, I, I'm more geared uh, physically toward bodybuilding, and that doesn't necessarily mean – Uh, light weights either, you know, you can make tremendous progress.
3: One thing to to consider is that bodybuilders, they they get stuck in these these routines, and like I say, when I was a kid, you know, you you did the same thing every time you went to the gym, you know, the bench, incline, decline, and squat, or uh, bench, incline, decline, and fly, you know, like for chest and for legs, you did, you know, you did leg extensions to warm up, and boom, right to the squat. All those marquee exercises were thrown up in the beginning because you were at your strongest, and you wanted the big bench. You wanted a big squat, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that always took precedence. Now, it can be argued that those, again, because those were the cornerstone so exercises, that that's where you wanted your strength. But I've contended for years, it doesn't make any difference. Change the routines. I've been telling people for years, you can get just as much out of doing dips, you know, or cable flies or anything for any exercise. If you change the order, don't get married to a routine where it becomes yeah. – you know, uh, you know, simplistic to the body, where, again, the only challenge is going up in weight. We've all had those days where you go in the gym, you know, maybe you don't feel as good or you're in a, a time crunch, so you say, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to knock out a whole bunch of these, or, geez, I ain't feeling well, maybe I'll just do some extension, you know, some uh, push-downs for tries. And the next couple of days, you're more sore than you are normally. Why? Eesh, right. Because you changed it up, because you did something that's completely different and shocking to the body. You just got more out of doing that than you piling on 500 pounds on the press and doing your regular routine.
1: Yeah, You know, I want to say something, you know, to what you're saying, Lonnie, the whole idea that, and we've talked in the past on this show about, you know, making transitions from bodybuilding to powerlifting or the other way, bodybuilding, powerlifting to bodybuilding. Um, I have contended for quite a few years now that, you know, my first, you know, 12, 15 years of lifting weights as, you know, as competitive bodybuilder has lent me now a hell of a lot of good as a competitive powerlifter in that I think... Some powerlifters are can be guilty of doing too little isolation work, too little single joint kind of work. And I think all the years that I, I mean, I've always always was a rower, squat, or bench presser kind of guy, even when I was a bodybuilder. But I also did all the things that I was was expected of me, you know, as far as the you know the hypertrophy bodybuilding style thing. And I think that's lent me a lot of good as a powerlifter because it's left me with a lot of well, with few muscular weaknesses even like in you know weird little you know stabilizer ways or so forth like that And i think so so i think i think yeah like what you're saying lonnie and what you're saying about the whole idea that you know strength doesn't have to be de- de- defined by what like what you're saying these marquee just these two or three or four big lifts They can be in it can be across a whole broad spectrum of things and exercises
0: right you know? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I, and I, I'm sure even Phil would agree. Uh, you know, there's ways to hybridize, clever ways. It doesn't have to be in every workout. You can go through a meso cycle of eight or 12 weeks or 16 weeks and focus on mass and hypertrophy for a while. You know, or over the past probably you know eight to 12 months, I've I really been focusing on. You know the power lifts, the three big ones. You know, but at the same time, I'm I'm doing that in a hybrid kind of way. You know what I mean? And I'm again, I'm not apologetic, Rob. I know you always say, well, Lonnie, don't be hard on yourself that you've got a smaller frame. I don't look at it like a negative at all. You know, I, I, the, I the thing that my small elbows and my little waist are why I can do okay when I get on a bodybuilding stage. You know, yeah. not to say that there's not also a, 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 a time for mass monsters to get up there either. But anyway periods of the year where you pack on the mask, you, you know, you become, a, even if you're a powerlifter, you become a bit of a bodybuilder or, you know, the bodybuilder plays powerlifter for a while. And right. I like the idea that you can cross over a little bit. I do like the old school idea that guys like Arnold and Franco, they were strong and looked great, you know, and that kind of thing. So.
1: Yeah. You know, Bob, after all the things that we've talked about here, this is going to kind of sound like a weird question, but what are your, what lifts are you most proud of? Give us a few numbers, just for fun.
3: Um... You know, I, like I said, I kind of had my day, you know, doing the heavy stuff. So, uh you know, I had some. I mean, I had a a, a decent squat, I would say, for a bodybuilder. I had about 600. Um, but it, interestingly, I don't have – I mean, I did a 525 bench, you know, almost tore my pec in half, but I did it, I guess. And, uh <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, pretty much the, the writing on the wall for me. I was like, all right, it's enough of this. Um, interestingly, my lifts were always more in reps. Like, Like, I really – I was good. Like we talk about different kinds of strength. I mean, I wasn't good at a single rep, but I tell you what I could do. I mean, I could do reps for days. I mean, I, like I could squat four oh five for like you know twenty-three reps, that type That's of crazy. thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, so I got off kind of more in that re- respect than uh, than single lifts or you know that that type of thing. Right,
0: right that's super impressive dude <laughs> <laughs> anybody who can get around 20 reps with 405 that's nutty that's official oh, nutty. same thing
3: on the bench I mean I could bench press you know 405 for, for probably i don't know somewhere up into teens you know which was, which was pretty damn good you know but Nothing 14 you know 15 that. 16 reps but you know but like I say collectively I had guys that were stronger than me on
1: a max yeah right now where where are you from where were you born Bob uh upstate New York Rochester Okay, now, when did you, now, when did you, you eventually moved to California?
3: Yeah, the uh, The second I won the USA and then secured a contract with GNC, I was on the next flight out of there, uh, you know, to, to do the Golds Gym Venice, you know, uh, bodybuilding dream thing. That was always, that was my goal, you know, I get a much, much higher calling, of course, you know, to, to be an action hero and uh, all that <laughs> stuff, so, you know, that was, so that was me- it for me.
1: So, how many years were you at the Venice Golds then?
3: I was there for about eight years. Um, literally, like I said, I won the show in two thousand. I mean, I'm not even joking with that. Like, I got my first paycheck from from GNC, uh, and it was enough for me to to secure a uh, you know an apartment and ship my stuff out there, and and I was gone. You know, I, I had enough of the cold, the, the snow. You know, um, and it was tough. You know, I mean, I've got you got family, you got friends. You know, but that was always a goal of mine, and I kept having people tell me like, What are you doing here? you know, go, you know, you know, so, so I did, you know, and I went and uh um but I went under my circumstances. I mean I didn't you know, I wasn't gonna be that guy that had that story, you know, where yeah, you know, I lived in my car for three months in the gold gym parking lot and did that, and people look at that with admiration and I always looked at that one, What an idiot <laughs> So why the hell did you go out there? You didn't have a freaking job, you moron. I mean, you know like, what,
0: Bob? It's it's amazing how similar your story is to mine with the comic books and like move out to Venice. I mean, I wasn't at your level. B, I was never certainly never a pro bodybuilder, but at least I had grad school as as an excuse and a fallback and something else when I was out in Southern California. So I moved out there, but at least I had school. You know, I wasn't yeah. living out of a car with no other goal than to get huge.
3: Well, I yeah. had, you know, people said, "Oh, what did you do?" You know, I had a job. You know, J O B. I actually had a job. Yeah. I worked. I had my own gym for nine years between ninety, whatever it was, ninety two, and then two thousand when I when I turned pro. I had my own gym. I mean, I ran my own business. You know, before I got a real eclectic background of jobs. I mean, I was a, a deputy sheriff in the, in the uh, late eighties. That's actually what I started, and then. Uh, it went awesome. on to the American Gladiators. After that, right. when that you've came actually
1: around, been, you've actually been in a number of movies. Tell us, yeah, about. I've,
3: you know, I've had some some little uh, you know roles in the in Dodgeball and uh, I Love You Man and Malcolm in the Middle. You know some of those. And so that was all well, part of the all part of the cool stuff about California, man. all this stuff is at your fingertips.
1: Yeah, you know, for our listeners out there, if you're watching a movie like I love um, I Love You Man, obviously <laughs> it's it's not hard to figure out. Who's Bob, but he's the big guy that's on the boardwalk in Venice. So, but yeah, you so see, you've done, you've done some cool things, man. I mean, and I, I think that really adds to a lot to your, you know, your, um, um, I think, I think you're an asset. Let's put it that way. Ambassador
0: the, of the sports Well, no, because
1: put, seriously, because you're well spoken I put the, I put the ass in asset. <laughs> no, yeah. but it's, it's good stuff, you know, and, and you know, on some boards, we won't mention names, but some boards, you know, uh, Bob takes, Quite a bit of heat from some fools out there who uh, take it upon themselves just, you know, no, generally speaking, these of people are know-nothings who just... Well,
0: there's always the ocean of 21-year-old know-it-all experts, you know. And I that. certainly
1: know because I'm on the same board that I'm, I'm referring to, and, and lately I've been taking a lot of stick, too, from a lot of these jackasses. But, you know, the thing is, if, you know, most of these... But that, that you... Exactly. Oh shit. Uh,
3: Sorry about that, buddy. You know, (laughs) know, let me me tell you the real crime of of the boards. You know, again, now when we grew up, you know, all of us collectively, you know, there was no internet. Like I said, there was no boards. There was no way to get a hold of the champs other than to wait for the next issue of, you know, uh, Muscle and Fitness to come out, you know, a muscle builder, you know, back then. You know, and that's the only way you got to see anything unless you wrote in and got their courses or something like that. But here's the real crime being committed. These kids today have access not not just to me, but I mean, you got some of the top champs. And if you even go back about nine, ten years ago, um, all the guys were online. They were all on these these websites and and Get Big and all these things that were starting up back then. And they had a perfect opportunity. I mean, can you guys imagine? You know, let's turn the clocks back into the you know the, the early '80s. Can you imagine having access to all the superstars at that time? Arnold and Farigno and Zane and Manisser and Dickerson and you know all these guys that you you could actually engage them in you could ask them questions in real time and get answers you could actually have dialogue yeah. with these these guys that you looked up to that were idols of yours and and you would waste your time throwing out stupid shit to them <clears throat> and talking smack and I mean it's like it's it's unheard of but that's oh, yeah. what goes on today
0: oh yeah well you know what the truth is back in the day and I know we're, we only have about another minute or two left. Uh, but back in the in the, like the mid '80s, you know, I, I I was you know idolizing guys like LeBron and Gaspari and all these guys. What I would consider like the second wave after you know uh, the Zane era, you know, mm-hmm. the last time Zane competed, probably. Which you know, like '83 was the first year I was really introduced to um, you know pro bodybuilding stuff. But the magazines presented these guys like a pantheon of deities and. Mm-hmm. You know, you would never expect them to descend from Valhalla or Olympus or whatever <laughs> to talk to you directly. And you sure as hell wouldn't question them or insult them. You know, the amount of entitlement and cockiness that somehow comes out in these anonymous forums is outrageous to me. Yeah. And it's again, maybe it's because I grew up in that era where Weeder made everything look so glowy and and uh, clean-cut, and I know it's not really that way, but you know what I mean? There was an element of respect, and I think that a lot of that goes out the window. If you get too much access, you almost lose a little bit of the well, magic. yeah,
1: and you know, when I first went to the board, I'm talking about, you know, I was actually appalled. At, I mean, there's some funny stuff out there, yeah. I, I mean, I, and I'm the first one to laugh at a lot of things on a lighthearted level, but there's some real jackasses out there who take things way too far, and like you say, you know, on the board that I'm talking about, I mean – You know, you've got a guy like Bob here that's on that board, and and, all these jackasses who probably won't amount to shit in the realm of you know weight training of any discipline, you know, are on there, and all they do is like just fling rocks at poor old Bob. Find fault with others, and now a bunch of people on that board have now found out found out who I am, and it's not like I try and hide like Bob. I don't. I actually, they all know my name. And they're now all friggin' hurdling shit at me. And it's like, you know what? And this is going to sound like I'm blowing my own horn. But I think to myself, even from my, I'm thinking, you know what? You know, like, yeah, in most aspects of life, I'm a jackass. But you know what? I know what I'm talking about, about this kind of stuff. And I've been around. And, you know, and, and all these idiots do is they run people like me and Bob out, you know? I mean, not that we'll ever just, you know, give up and say, screw it. But you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you're, well, you're it's, these guys a are perfect completely...
3: opportunity. It's a perfect opportunity. I mean, how many questions do you ever actually see on there, on the main board? Of training related, like, hey man, uh, just quick question, you know, I'm, I'm doing this bench press and I blah blah blah. You know, you don't ever see that, but it, it, it's it's just not our sport. I mean, this is society. I mean, we're, we're talking yeah. about society yeah. that TV has been dumbed down so much that the Kardashians are superstars that we look oh, at
0: God help reality
3: us. TV show is. I mean, these are the number one things. The completely scripted, complete bullshit. Nobody's acting. I mean, there, there's you no. Know, if you're an old actor, you got to look at this stuff and just be beside yourself. You know that, that, that this is what's become, you know, society. So it's all over the place, unfortunately. But it just continues to be the dumbing down of America, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's actually one of my themes. I, I, I actually, once in a while, I'll actually get on Twitter and I'll share examples of the dumbing down of America. So yeah, that's. that's will you have you? have you on for a for that as another topic because Absolutely. that's <laughs> that's a huge problem. And I think yeah, our sports actually not a bad example of it. You know, so.
1: You know, this show's running to an end, but I don't. I certainly don't want to forget to ask, Bob, you know, what, what do you have? Now, I know that you um, just recently signed on with a new company, correct?
3: Yes, I have. Um, this last year has been been great in terms of just new beginnings, new starts. Uh, I just signed a contract with uh, Muscular Development. Um, I've been with Flex Magazine for the better part of the last five, six years. Um, and it was time for a change. You know, there were lots of changes with AMI, you know, in there and all that. And um, I have nothing bad to say. I'm mean, a great company. You know, I've worked with a lot of good people over the years. Um, but just time for something fresh. And uh, Steve Bleckman yeah. and his crew uh, made me an offer I literally couldn't refuse. And um, so I signed on with MD, and we're doing all kinds of cool stuff. And I, I've got my own show I just launched. Um, as you guys know, I did uh, PBW, Pro Bodybuilding Weekly, for uh, about yeah. six years with, with Dan oh, yeah. Solomon. Um, and, and we continue to work together. And uh, I was just on there last week and, you know, doing the breakdowns and all that kind of stuff for bodybuilding. I just started my own show called The Last Rep with Bob Ciccarello. I know it's a strange nice. title, using my name. Um, and uh, I do it with Peter McGuff, who, who's an icon in the sport. He was the Flex magazine editor-in-chief for the better part of 15 years and, and um, uh, again, literally the, the know-it-all of, of all bodybuilding things related. Um, so we just started this show. It's on the Internet. You can catch it on YouTube. You can catch it on uh, at, at muskeredevelopment.com, cool. and it's called The Last Rep, and it's basically a weekly show. Um, it's kind of a on-air version of BW, you know, what we did there.
1: Okay. Um, well, li- so, link us up, man. Link us up.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, uh... No, we'll seri- no seriously, I,
1: because, because you I know... I just uh, got
3: on this Facebook crap and this Twitter thing. I, I put it off as long as I could. I never even did a MySpace, MyFace, any of those stupid things when they <laughs> right. came out. But, you know, I've, I've been putting off trying to get modern for I don't know how long, but I, I finally bit the bullet. So I got a Facebook now, I've, I've got a Twitter, you can tweet me, I mean, all these... I don't even know how half the shit works. I mean, I don't know who's <laughs> tweeting who I'm seeing, like, at, you know, by, by FED, prob- <laughs> is it Okay, wait a minute, so are, are, is that something to them, or did they put that to you? Or what? I don't is have it, a clue, man. Yeah, is this private? I've got, got a Commodore 64 I'm working on over here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, yeah, man. I, I feel for you, man, because it's only the last several months that I've been trying to you know, get into that. I'm in the same way. I'm like, yeah, is this guy writing me? Did I write him? Did somebody yeah, else respond to that? I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. Well, no, but uh, we wish you all the best, and certainly we'd like to have you back on the show at some point. Um, Anytime,
3: boys. Anytime. I got loads of stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. That's awesome. And like I say, maybe we can uh, link up our sites. But, you know, hey, look, thanks for uh, spending the time with us. We do appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. And all the best to you with your your new endeavors. And uh, to our listeners out there, uh, we'll be back next week. So happy lifting.
0: Iron Radio is accepting donations. sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, ironradio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and protein. You can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, This will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys, or bone loss, or gout, or dehydration, or increased muscle mass over time, or leanness, or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here, I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast.